Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step-based organizations or groups in any way. You know, season three is all about, you know, the sanctuary staff, you know, the team members, my recovery team, you know, the people that I work with. But recovery goes so much farther than the groups that we do at, at Sanctuary. It goes way beyond that. You know, the goal is, is to always to have our, our clients find a path of recovery, be able to figure out what fits best for them and go after it like a drowning man. Because in addiction, we're just drowning. Every day is a struggle to keep our head above water. The fellowship, the path of recovery, that's what helps us float. So on today's episode, I have my very, very own friend, you know, Ian Day. So welcome, Ian Day, to the show. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Ian Day. I am an alcoholic. And we got Ian on the show. And so, you know, the reason why I say all that is because Ian is the guy who um, becomes visual proof to our clients when we take them out there to meetings. Uh, we take them to all the various A's, A meetings, the 12-step meetings, and they see these guys like Ian out there and these women like his wife and so many others. And they become visual proof that they, if they can do it, then I can do it too. And so Ian's the guy that typically gets asked to be the sponsors of all of our clients. You know, I see him. He comes on his day off from work. Any opportunity he can. He's talking to these guys. They're calling him daily, showing up to the residential. And he's providing just that hope, man, and, and walking him through the, through the steps from the big book. Because the program's in the big book, man. We don't change it. It's not Jason's program. It's not Ian's program. It's the program. And so he walks side by side. So I figured... You know, we might as well have him on the show today to share his message, experience, strength and hope and everything that goes along with it. So we're going to hear his message today. So let's hear a little bit about this, Ian. So you're from Centerville, Indiana. Where is that at? Shout out, Indiana. Centerville, Indiana. Are man. you a Hoosiers fan? Absolutely. Oh, born, Big time. born and raised. Colts man. fan? No. No? Who's your team? Uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, the Ravens. Yeah, I, I love Ray Lewis. Oh, Ray Lewis. He set the tone for me as a linebacker. <laughs> yeah, he did. And so that's a very important part of your story. You know, I could relate to the sports aspect of it as well. But what I want you to share, just share what it was like growing up in Indiana, a little bit about the family dynamic in the household. And let's start there. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was born and raised in, like we were talking about, Centerville, Indiana. Uh, one stoplight, one gas station, no fast food. Had to drive to the next town over to get what we needed. Um, and it was, I wouldn't say sheltered. I would say um, the people in our community were very community-based individuals and they just wanted to see everybody do well and they wanted to see everybody grow and they wanted to cater to everybody's feelings and emotions and, and try to work together as a community to bring up a generation of individuals like us ourselves as children just to understand what life's all about because like at that point in my life i have no idea sports is it that's all i'm worried about is is understanding how i can get better at certain things so that i can have more friends and 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 so yeah. like i i that's that was as a child what it looked like for me my parents are still together to this day they've been married for over 30 years uh they love me unconditionally um, Shout out mom and dad. I'm telling you, man, uh, my, my dad's a, a registered. He went to school to be a registered nurse. Now he has his doctorates in, in nursing and he gets to uh, direct nurses on a daily basis and make sure that their program and what they do inside the hospital is is going in the right direction. It's amazing to watch him work, man. And, and he 
man, went back to school and showed me what it was like to be disciplined and, and well-mannered. And they taught me so much growing up, man, just so much full, so a house full of so much love and compassion. And uh, the reason why I share those certain things, though, is, is that like me being spoiled as, as a child and, uh, and getting everything that I want, everything that I need, having all those things, I still am an alcoholic. Um, I still end up taking that first drink, you know, in eighth grade. And I still um, get to feel like not a part of and, and so disconnected from everybody growing up that that I turn to uh, trying to find a way out and trying to I felt like I couldn't breathe half half the time. Right. And so it's crazy because, you know, this disease does not discriminate, Mm -mm. you know, just like yourself. I come from a a good home. My parents are still married. They love me unconditionally. They gave me every opportunity to in life to be successful. And, you know, when I think about that, it's like everything that they said, all the different, you know, talks that they would have with me. They were right the whole time (laughs) in in one ear, out the other. It wasn't my time, you know. And, you know, kids that come from, you know, super traumatic backgrounds and in horrible environments, you know, they don't all become addicts. And just like kids who come from, you know, well-to-do homes and loving parents, you know, it's not, there's not set in stone that, you know, they don't become addicts. It it doesn't discriminate. But when you talk about one light town, I think of that movie Varsity Blues. Have you seen it? Is it just just like Varsity Blues? Just like Varsity Blues. It was just football. I played a lot of baseball, but like football was very important. Uh, We could do whatever we wanted to, man. I don't even know how I graduated high school. Barely, huh? (laughs) Like, I think they just pushed me through, man. Do you remember what it was like when you took that first drink? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I felt just a sense of ease and comfort that it talks about Mm -hmm. in the big book, man. And in those pages that, like, uh, I felt like I could be a part of. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could talk to females. I mm-hmm. felt like I could, uh, that I was going to rule the world. And, um, I took that first drink and, and like any good alcoholic, I didn't stop after that first drink. Did you get sick the first time? Absolutely. 100% blacked out. Are you a blackout drinker? I am. Throw up on everything yep, drinker? Absolutely. Piss in the corner of the yep. room and think you're in, in the bathroom? The no, <laughs> I don't even wake oh. up. <laughs> yeah. I just piss wherever I am, wherever I am, man. And that was my whole life. So yeah. like, there's a lot of guilt and shame sure. that, that's built into all of that. Uh, and so the first time drinking, you know, I woke up in a bathtub and my friend's mom's uh, washing me off with water mm-hmm. and trying to get me uh, presentable because uh, they do need to take me home. In yeah, the you got to go home sometime. Uh, I blame it on them. You know, they <laughs> yeah. left us home alone. Yeah, see so. what you made me do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so. But after that, you know, any normal person would be like, well, this drinking thing's, you know, just kind of not for me. Yeah. Um, but me, I, I needed to figure out how to do it and and not throw up and not pee myself and, and, and in a manner where it was going to be useful. Did you ever figure it out? Oh, uh, man, I thought I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yes, I figured it all yeah, out. Yeah. You know, we always think that, you know, and it's funny, you know, because usually when we first start drinking, we don't even like it. You know, and that's a, a, another sign, the many signs, you know, of being an alcoholic and an addict. We don't like it, but we still do it. Yeah. You know, we can't not not use. And that becomes the baffling feature of it as we get older. The utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. We could wish it. We could pray it. We don't want to do it, but we can't not not do it. That's the powerlessness of it. And so when we talk about now 
because we can both agree it's a progression, right? Yeah. So what's high school look like for you then? Um, the urge and craving to drink became paramount before everything. I tried to hold it together. I tried. You my played best. sports. How many sports did you play? I played uh, football. I wrestled during the winter, and I played baseball pretty much all year round. Like while I was playing other sports, I was showcasing in the winter for baseball for like little league world series type shit. Um, yeah, but they didn't have it back then, huh? No, it wasn't yeah. really that that uh, relevant in my life to where um, when I got into like my junior senior from sophomore to senior year, uh, I played for a travel team called the Indiana Heat. Oh, the heat! Shout yeah, out heat! Absolutely, <laughs> and uh, and and that kind of got me in the place to be able to play baseball in college. And so that's what you ultimately do. You end up getting a scholarship to play baseball. But when we talk about the high school, right? Was it just drinking? Were there other drugs mixed into the mix? Whenever you can get them, Friday turns into Saturday, Sunday, Monday turns into every day of the week. Oh, was it that sort of progression? I mean, there was, yeah. Well, and where I was from in Centerville, Indiana, it was it was very, I, I didn't even know what heroin and meth were. They didn't have it, huh? No. Well, yeah. not, I mean, not to to my knowledge. I got into a little bit of cocaine. Yeah. Um, noticed that that was something that, uh, that was not going to be good for me or beneficial. Um, and I, I made sure that I stopped that abruptly. So these sports, they did me well, like mm-hmm. they put discipline and, and, and good decision-making and, and there was all kinds of principles that were instilled in my life through sports and through my parents that allowed me to make decisions for myself in the beginning stages of my disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into smoking weed. I, I smoked weed from 17 to 20 for 10 years. Were you like a bong day. collector pothead? Absolutely. You need every, that zong, you need that bong. Day, yeah. Yeah. Whatever, make a gravity real quick, yeah. get the milk jug out, got into the selling weed, got yeah. into whatever, you know, like I was a weed connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's crazy about this disease, though, because the disease tells me that I didn't have a problem with weed. The disease tells me that I don't have a problem with alcohol, even though when I drank, I blacked out, wrecked yeah. cars, DUIs. When I smoke weed, I woke up, smoke weed, got ready, smoke weed, smoked a joint, got in the car, smoked a joint, went to work. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's not a problem. Oh, I got caught multiple times smoking before school yeah. or at the gas station rolling joints. And so my first cases came from from selling weed, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so now you end up going to the University of St. Catholic High, Catholic, Catholic College, yeah, huh? That's basically the only place it would take me. Like, <laughs> I, I, the end would let me play baseball. So you got a baseball scholarship there, so... Why don't you tell the listeners, you know, what it was like showing up on campus and, you know, what happened when you got there? I showed up on campus. My dad helped me move in. Uh, it was awesome. It was like that dream that I yeah. had. And I'm there. I'm there. I'm moving into the dorm. I got a dorm room. Uh, I get to uh, major in art, which is something that I really enjoy doing. And and uh, and then in a blink of an eye after two months, it's it's gone. It's already over. And, and, and so when you say it's over, due like to drinking and so using, what happened? So uh, there were a couple of times where, you know, everybody else just stopped smoking weed yeah. and everybody else just like moderated their drinking and, and would go to practice and would go to class. And, and uh, I didn't know how they did it. I was so baffled by how all of these people talk so much about so highly about marijuana. And they're like, well, well, it's baseball season, bro. Like I can't they're going to drug test us. And I'm like, well, I, I how do I get around that drug test? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can go get fake B or yeah. I can, you know, use the Wizenator or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and 
for me, I didn't understand how they would just stop. Like for me, it seemed like such a horrible thing to stop. Because you were hitting the gas pedal. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Meeting all the girls, yeah. drinking all the beers, going to the football house, going to, you know, what college looks like. Yeah. Um, everybody drinks. Everybody smokes, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't just me, right? Like but, The only difference is they go to bed at night. Right. I don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, I don't. I get written up multiple times. I ended up getting arrested on campus is what kind of capped it. And, yeah, uh, they frown upon that. Yeah. So I guess I, I don't remember. I was blackout drunk. And I rolled out of my bed, uh, peed all, all over the carpet in our dorm room, went outside. Guess I started trying to fight everybody outside. Yeah. Campus security didn't like that. Um, <laughs> I tried to fight campus security. And then I told them that they couldn't do anything. You know, the whole rent-a-cop thing. Yeah. And then cherries, you're not even a real cop. Cherries and berries come <laughs> around the corner. Oh, they brought the real cops. <laughs> that was my first time in jail ever. What was that like? Lonely lonely not no i didn't know where i was i had no idea where i was so you woke up from blackout and you were in jail yeah it was horrible what happened yeah and and nobody was there to tell me what happened you know so i was really scared yeah and so when we think about the fear you know when we start to address that in the fourth step and we look at our fears and you know the big book tells us it touches every aspect of our lives well it's because my self-will jason's own actions when i do what i want to do feed right into every single one of my fears so you go to jail you, you know you experience that loneliness the fear that comes from that but then your actions for the next decade send you back to jail multiple times right yeah, self-manifested <laughs> in a very many, very different way yeah. very different ways yeah and so it doesn't last very long. You end up dropping out and, uh, you know, you end up moving out to Mesa, Arizona. I get the opportunity to come out here. My parents had, my dad landed a job out here and I, I did what I know best. I called my parents mm-hmm. like, Hey, help me. Yeah. yeah. I, there was, I called mom and dad noon. And so when I get into recovery now, it's like, I have to stand on my own two feet for once. Uh-huh. I cannot let mom and dad just take care of me forever. Don't be 40 in a couple of weeks, bro. Right. That ship is sailed, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I got to be, I got two kids. I can't call mom and dad for everything anymore. Right. I got to do it on my own. But I did that for so, I mean, we're talking bailing me out of jail, mm-hmm. preventing evictions, mm-hmm. getting the car out of impound every month. I mean, all that. And so you show up out here and you go to Mesa Community College. So why don't you talk a little bit about what Mesa Community College was like for you? Um, you know, I'm assuming you're still drinking the progression of all that. What's that look like that time period? Oh, dead end sales job. I think I worked at JCPenney to be honest at that point. I was a, uh, retail, uh, sales consultant. Oh, oh, retail sales. That's fancy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, working with like high school kids, um, thinking that I had everything together, making, working part time, making minimum wage, folding clothes and, uh, fumbling through the college experience and not gaining any knowledge. I couldn't pass my prereqs. Um, I can look back at it and understand that God had a plan the whole time. Um, the experience that I needed to get through those years in my life came from drinking and using drugs. Yeah. And so our past becomes our greatest asset when we find recovery. Man, dude. It's so awesome. And we don't even realize it the whole time. It's funny. I joke with my mom. You know, I'm like, mom, I was building a resume. That was- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't know I had a plan. Well, God had the plan. Oh, he did. Man. But it's only through awareness that we can look back on our lives when we do our part today like we do. Then we can look back and say everything happened for a reason. Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Right. And because now I'm doing my part, I get to experience God in every single area of my life. Oh, God. But it takes you a long time to get there. So we're yeah. talking years. 
Years. Years. So from 2009 to 2015-ish, you're just on a sick one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the drinking got worse. The drinking got... Um, um, I mean, were you, going, were you going out to Mill Avenue, Scottsdale? Absolutely. Yeah, Mill Avenue. I, I was more of a desert dweller. Yeah. Uh, I was more of a desert rat. Like, I hung out with people that, that had four-wheel drives and liked to go out and, and, and ride dirt bikes and, and, and ATVs. And I don't know how many of those I wrecked. Um, I never had the money to fix them either. So that was always a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, my life became un- started to become so unmanageable. What's unmanageable look like, though? I never had a thousand dollars in my bank account, not one, not not one time. Um, all my money was gone by Monday before you even got it. Most of the time, right probably, yeah. before I got it, um, I lived in mom and dad's house, um, and the chances that I got not to live in mom and dad's house were very short lived. Uh, I would always have some weird situation mm. where I did, you know, I, I rode coattails of females. That's kind yeah. of what I did. Yeah. So they would have a house. I would move in. I would drive their car. I would live in their house and I would like codependency at its finest. I'm telling you. <laughs> and so, um, I depended on girls and I depended on my parents and I went through all of my twenties thinking that I had everything together and I didn't. Um, that unmanageability that was in my life, I wasn't willing to admit that that was something until around 2015-ish, um, when I really started to um, experience what it was like. So I, uh, I, I didn't really have girlfriends at the time. Like I would take hostages. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> let them leave. Yeah. I wouldn't let them have feelings. I wouldn't let them do what they want to do. They had to live the way that I wanted to live. I had started selling weed. So for like six years in my 20s, I sold weed. Um, they took spice off the shelf. At one point, I was working in a... I, I had gotten a tattoo apprenticeship mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I started to get to to do that for a little bit. And, and it just landed me with so much experience in drinking and using and drugging and, and treating people poorly and um, going down that path of selling drugs and, and manipulating people to give me the money that they owe me and, and having connections to send them over there and do the same. And I was harming so many people, harming so many people. And at this point, my, my eight year old daughter now, she's eight now, um, she was born within that first relationship and, and that was in 2013. So my daughter was born in 2013 and, um, I had been arrested a couple of times, but, uh, where everything started to change was I started doing harder drugs, right? I started getting into what, um, started getting into like using heroin every day and, and, uh, started getting into doing meth on occasion. I didn't like meth when I first tried it. Uh, I got offered it a couple of times afterward and, and, uh, I could, I, I got stuff to do today. Yeah. Like I can't, can't <laughs> yeah. be locked in a closet for yeah. 24 hours yeah. today. So, and so that's the, you know, the crazy part about it is when we look over all those years, all the pain, all the harm that we've done to others, you know, and, it's no secret why we continue to use and stay caught in that cycle because every time we feel again, it feels so, we feel so bad. We're consumed by guilt, shame, embarrassment, remorse, and regret. 
And the drugs and alcohol work. Don't think, don't feel, don't care. But the problem is, is when we go back out every time, we hurt more people. We, it feels worse and it feels worse. And we go back out and it feels worse. And it's just that cycle of a spree like the big book talks about in the doctor's opinion. You know, we get caught. It's repeated over and over and over again. And it just feels like, you know, we can't get our way out of it. And, you know, when we continue to experience consequences, especially in Arizona, the consequences only get greater. Right. So now I'm assuming you find yourself sitting in Maricopa County. Yeah. Wearing pink, times. wearing pink. Oh, gosh, man. Eating I, slop. I remember. I, so in 2015, I got arrested five times. Five times. Five times. Okay. Um, and two in Pinal County and three in Maricopa County. And then in 2016, I got arrested for the last time. So all of my arrests that came from, so imagine five times. So I, I'm, I have five court cases within 2015 and one within 2016. And all of them, like you said earlier, bail me out, yeah. um, come get me, OR me. You know, they're all for um, DUIs or possession of paraphernalia or possession of, of a narcotic or possession of a dangerous drug or they, so they're all wrapped into my using and drinking and uh, and, and it just was all God's grace man um, he was doing something for me that I couldn't do for myself at this point which is distancing me from everything He's like, dude, your experience is over. Like I, you have plenty of experience to move forward with your life. And I'm tired of seeing you live this way. Right. And so he gets all of these charges together. And oh, you had to get one of them global, please. Put, put them all I, together. Well, what else am I going to do? I've been running from them all. <laughs> yeah. uh, they trying to, they do not go away. Continue yeah. this yeah. so that this doesn't hit while this, because I've already signed a plea for probation on this so that it's not a violation. I need to make sure that this goes over here. And then if I can make sure that these come in this way. And so I'm doing that for like, and, and I'm, and I'm getting loaded in the parking lot before I walk in. I remember when I finally got arrested in 2016, um, the, the attorney that I had saw me when I was in street clothes. And then he also saw me when Maricopa brought me to court one mm -hmm. time. And he said, you look so good. And I was like, yeah, I've been in jail for 30 days. Like I'm yeah. finally, cause my <laughs> detox, like my detox within those two years looked like you're going to jail. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be sober. Nobody ever told me I had a problem. No, like my parents were so, like I said, they loved me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. They did whatever they could to get me out of trouble when I got in trouble because they couldn't stand seeing me in, in stripes or, yeah. or in that pink underwear. They yeah. couldn't stand that stuff, man. So they would come to the rescue every single time. And, uh, and it got to the point where they couldn't do anything and they knew they were enabling me and they started to make some decisions that we're going to set up boundaries that finally allow God to come into my life and turn everything around for me. Um, I wasn't really gung ho for that to happen. Like, yeah. I was <laughs> like, what do you mean? You're not going to bail me out. What do you mean? You're not going to put money on the books. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Please. Uh, yeah. I can't eat this food. At least send some pretzels to put yeah. in, the, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, peanut butter, man. And I went into Maricopa County jail. And I despised peanut butter. I wouldn't eat peanut butter. And I got in there and that was the only thing to eat. Yeah, that's all they give you. My life is, is so good now, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not picky. 
like jail and what God did for me by isolating me from those things and detoxing me in the way that he did, I never had a choice. Like I didn't have a choice whether to detox or not. I was in a jail cell. Yeah. They're not, they don't do anything for me. They, they make me move. They controlled movement, right? They make me continue moving forward in the process. They make me go to court. It's not like I can just say, no, nah, I'm good. I'm staying home today. So, so you're not getting any failure to appears, that's for sure. No, no, because <laughs> they took me in. Let me ask you this. So when you when we talk about, because I've detoxed in jail plenty of times, and I've also tried a million times to detox, you know, being out here on the streets. And so when I look back, I mean, I only stop when I go to jail. When I got right. sober this time, um, when I found recovery, it's only because they put me in the hole and I did 90 days in the hole. That's what started the whole journey and everything, the spiritual experiences and the pain and everything that came from it. But my question is, when you think about the times when you tried to detox from opiates and heroin on the streets versus when you know you're in jail and you know you can't get it and you know you're locked down and you yeah. know there's no way in hell, do you think that it was easier just being locked down knowing or easier when you were on the streets? I could always go get someone else on the street. That's what makes it so I would hard. go to detox. I went to detox one time before I got locked up and I felt so good. And then I found a piece of heroin on the floor in my garage and it was, yeah, you know, I can always go get more. Yeah. That's the only way God had a shot was to lock me up. Yeah. But I still found drugs in jail. Oh yeah, that happens. But, and see like, and he even did me a better one. He put me in jail. He didn't mm. even want me in prison because yeah. he knew I was going to like, I, oh, I yeah. have to be, I have to be distanced, but I still like meth, spice, weed, uh, I, I drank hand sanitizer in mm, jail. I've done it. Oh, man. I did all that <laughs> yeah. in jail. Yeah. So, like, I lasted as long as I could. So, I guess I could tell you that year I did in Maricopa County, um, I signed a non-agreement plea. It was either two and a half in prison or a year in county with early release upon completion of the Alpha program. And the Alpha program was a rehabilitation program that was built into the facility there at Durango. So that was the first time I'd ever went to rehab. I went to detox a couple of times, but I'd never been to rehab. So here I am being forced into a re well, I, I guess I could have told him that I wanted to go to prison for two and a half years, but you said yeah. I'm delusional. Yeah. I can't differentiate the truth from the false. So right. you give me one year to two and a half years. I'm, I'm praying and hoping that you give me the one year. And that's what the judge did. He's like, you have never done the alpha program. We're going to send you to treatment. It's here within the jail. You can't leave. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah. you know, now that we have this awareness, because ultimately, you know, that's all we're gaining through the 12 steps. We're gaining awareness, right? Um, awareness of our higher power working in our lives. Awareness when we, you know, put the footwork in, the action steps daily, the awareness how God takes care of all the outcomes in our lives. And that's ultimately all we're gaining. So, you know, when we look over your story, you know, you come from a great childhood, just like I, every, every opportunity to be successful. We both played sports. We both had scholarships. We both, you know, screwed those off because the drinking and the drugging got more important, got in the way. And then we both go on the same path of just destruction, dude, for such a long period of time. And ultimately, you know, jail saves us, right? Like, like as much as we don't want to be there, as much as I look back on the many trips, you know, I prison first prison sentence wasn't good enough. The eight years caught my attention. I was so scared. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be there. Not me. You got the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah you like, got, I'm not made for this. Yeah, you got the wrong guy, you know. And so 
You know, you end up going in and out of jail, in and out of jail, multiple cases. I mean, you you were almost a jailhouse lawyer. You should yeah. be a lawyer with all the cases oh, you had. Yeah, I knew everything. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when people come into jail, you know, and you've been there, you did a year in county, right? So you see someone's plea, you're like, oh, yeah, dude, two and a half, brother. Yeah, you start giving them mitigated sin. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, this is going to be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. We all become jailhouse lawyers. Right. And so, but ultimately, you know, when we look at this, you know, because your story really I mean, it, it it's not over after the Alpha program, right? The miracle's still to come, but there's still more pain that has to come from that. So that's where we're going to stop part one. I want everyone to really just think about this. You know, someone who had every opportunity in life to be successful, who's an amazing artist, who had gifts, just like the book talks about, special abilities, skills, aptitudes, has a promising career ahead of himself, and he pulls the structure down in his head by a senseless series of sprees, and that's what you did for so long. You know, to really think about that, you know, because your message, just like mine, we have the ability to touch so many. It doesn't matter what background we come from or what type of childhood. The most important part is that we've recovered and we know the solution and we'll help you get there. So part two will be dropping soon. And just think about it, you know, being in jail, going to the alpha program, but it's not it for him. But most importantly, the miracle of recovery, being that visual proof to so many of where we are today. You know, tune in to hear that part of the episode. Part two will be dropping in two days. So stay tuned.